You can have a seat. Good morning. Everybody doing all right? It's good to see all the folks who don't have boats here this morning. Um, <laughs> all of our rich friends are out at the lake. Um, anybody, uh, anybody get an iced latte this morning, just out of curiosity, raising your hands? It was so good. Like, really, really good. I was like, man, are we, like, we're like a mega church or something. Um, iced lattes in the lobby? No, it was really, really good. Uh, so Chandler, Richard, well done. It was really good. I mean, yep, nothing like me walking around with an iced latte. Um, anyways, if you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23 is where we'll be. If you need a Bible, um, they're kind of scattered throughout. Somebody can hand one of those to you. Um, and uh, if you kind of flipped right towards the middle of that thing, you're going to find the book of Psalm. And uh, we're going to look at uh, really just the first three verses of Psalm 23. We'll read the whole thing, but then we'll, we'll dive into just the first three verses of that passage. Um, my name's Dustin. I am one of the elders here. Um, I do not serve on staff or anything like that. Uh, I work in marketing. And so if you were thinking, oh, I was hoping there'd be a real pastor here, um, maybe he'll be back next week. Uh, but for, t- for now, you got me and uh, excited about uh, opening the word with you. Um, again, we're going to look at those three verses. Uh, Psalm 23 is really one of the most well-known chapters, though, in our scriptures, right? In the Bible. Like, it's, it's, and it's one of those passages that no matter like, who you are, like whether you've like grown up in the church, hadn't grown up in the church, been around the church a little bit, kind of peeking over the fence into Christianity a little bit, you've probably heard Psalm 23 at some point. Whether it was like you're at your grandmother's house and there was this like stitched looking thing with a sheep with a like rolling green hills, it probably said Psalm 23 on it somewhere, right? Or if you've ever been to a funeral, it's a chance Psalm 23 was one of the passages that were read. We're talking about the passage where it talks about, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? Like that passage is a very famous passage. And I also think no matter who you are today, this is one of those chapters in the Bible you really want it to be true. Like, I really want this passage to be true. And I actually walked through this passage with our church in uh, April of 2020. I don't know if anybody remembers that month. That was the 15 days to flatten the curve month. Isn't that funny to think about? We were flattening the curve then. Um, and, uh, and so I taught it online, so you were probably eating cinnamon rolls and hardly paying attention. But uh, So I wanted to dig back into it a little bit deeper today and really just break apart three verses and see what it might do for us as a church. And the deal with this is Psalm 23 is good news for six straight verses. Like, it's good news the whole way through. It's, it's beautiful. Like, you want to believe this one. Like, you want this one to be true. Because if we believe and gather these words, and if you're looking for what is this all about, if I could put this, this sermon, Psalm 23, into just one statement, what would it be? And here's what it describes. It's a life that lacks nothing. Psalm 23 is about a life that lacks nothing. So let me just read it as we get started. So Psalm 23, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll break down three verses. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want that to be true. And it is true. But my question is this, do you believe it? Do, do I really believe it? And again, I'm not just talking to like the non-Christians here who are kind of thinking about this whole thing. Like you, you who have grown up even in and around this stuff your whole life, you've known that passage, maybe you had to memorize it to get some kind of badge at church when you were a little kid, whatever it may be. Do you really believe this? Do you believe this passage? Do you believe in your life that you lack nothing? Because we live in a Western culture where we are constantly made to believe that we lack all kind of things, right? I told you at the beginning, I work in marketing. That's what marketing is. That's what marketing has become in so many spaces. And it's unfortunate in that way because often it's about selling you on what you don't have and convincing you that you are in need of that next thing. I'm 42 years old, never purchased a car for myself in my life, ever, 42 years old. Well, I purchased one, and it's, it's being delivered, because apparently cars, lots don't have cars anymore. So it's being delivered between August 9th and August 15th, and I'm really excited. It is like a dream car for me. I'm already looking at the things I can buy for it, and I don't have it yet. Like, I'm like, how can I upgrade this thing? Like, the tires that are coming on it, eh, they're okay, but what if I got these? The logo that they have on this part of the car, I'm going to take that off and put this logo on it. Like, seriously, like, it's a very nice car. And yet I'm already looking at what else can I get? It needs something else. And uh, I think we spend our lives being convinced all the time that there's something that we need. We need that next thing, that next experience. And here it is. Dallas Willard said this. He said, when we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means, in turn, that we live as if they were so. The question is this, do you live as though you lack nothing? Do I live as though I lack nothing? Like, no matter what life throws at us, pandemic, lost job, unexpected sickness, broken relationship, foreclosure, cancer, failed business, whatever it may be. These are the realities of a broken and fallen world. So these types of things are guaranteed. Like pain's going to come, suffering's going to come. It's guaranteed. So do these lead us to, and I'll show this on the screen, do these lead us to a place of panic? Or, or do you find peace? A, a lifetime of bleakness? Or do we rest in hope? A place of fear, or do we have a heart that's full of faith? Do you live a life of constant anxiety or a life of calm serenity? Like, are you more on the left side of that or the right side of that when you look at it? Does it fill you with weeks full of despair, or is it a lifetime filled with joy? Like, I want peace. I want joy. I want serenity. I want to be able to live and have faith. I want to live the Psalm 23 life. Like, don't you? 
And, and, and don't hear me wrong here. This isn't like some prosperity gospel message like, yeah, if you just follow Jesus, everything's fantastic. It's not true at all, right? The Bible tells us in this world, you will have what? Trouble or tribulation. Like it's guaranteed. You're going to go through tough stuff. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean the tough stuff ends and it's like, wow, man, Jesus rode into town on a new donkey. I'm getting a new Mercedes. Like that's not what the scriptures say. Like it's not a prosperity kind of deal here. But what, what, what this tells us is, is when those times do come, you can still have faith that's immovable. You can still have a joy that surpasses all understanding. You can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, that's what Psalm 23 tells us. And I'm telling you, you're going to have trouble. Things are going to come in the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Can you remind yourself of the truth of who God is in the midst of it all? And still walk knowing what we learned as little kids, maybe if you grew up in the church, he actually does have the whole world in his hands, like he does. Does the way you live reflect a belief in what Psalm 23 really says? I heard one pastor put it this way. The great danger is not that we would renounce our faith, but that we would settle for a mediocre version of it. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will create some practices in our lives that Psalm 23 lays out so clearly for us. Practices that would move us to this dwelling place where we can say, the Lord, he's my shepherd and I lack nothing. Three years ago, I was in a position of not knowing a next step in my life. I was emotionally, mentally, spiritually paralyzed. And in that time, I'm telling you, it was amazing. The Lord led me to one place and I camped out there. It's the series we're in, the book of Psalms. And I just camped. And eventually I landed in Psalm 23. And I just dove headfirst in. And so what I want to do is kind of go back to that, just if I can be a little bit personable here, of jumping into the things that maybe God taught me in that time. And so a little overview of the chapter, and then I'm going to give you a little overview of the chapter, and then I want us to work through the first three verses. So verse 1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The word want there is not talking about desires. It is talking about needs. If you look at other translations, that phrase may be better read as... um, as I've already kind of pointed out, it's this idea of I lack nothing. It's this idea of the Lord's my shepherd. I don't need anything. There's nothing I need. And if we were to summarize this sermon, I I really believe in one sentence, I don't need anything because the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. That is verse one. And then what we will see in the rest of this chapter and in these first three verses is why that's true. It's what we're going to see because God... He's our shepherd. From the Old Testament to the New Testament to a panic-filled, crazy world that we seem to live in where you go to get a burger like I did the other day, and it was $16.19 in that crazy panic world. The Lord is our shepherd. In other words, I'm in the care of someone else. I'm no longer the one in charge here. You are no longer the one in charge no, we can't just read Psalm 23 as like this cute poem with rolling green hills. This really talks about who our God is. 
And let me just say this. The most important thing, I think A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. This passage is going to tell you the character and the nature of who our God is. And in it, it's going to give us some practices of how we pursue that amazing God. The word Lord there is the word Jehovah, which is the covenant-making God of Israel. And that shepherd that we know, that shepherd in our lives is Jesus. How do we know this? John 10, verse 11, you can just go back and look at these later, but John 10, verse 11 says, Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, he, talking about Jesus, is the chief shepherd. Hebrews 13, 10 says, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So subsequently, Jesus is our shepherd, and we have everything that we will need for anything that we will face. Jesus, our good shepherd, replaces the panic with peace, despair with joy, anxiety with tranquility. This is just who Jesus is. The Lord, Jesus, is my shepherd. I shall not want, I don't need anything. Now, with all of that, what I want us to do is I want us to get into the practices of what he does based on who we now know that he is and what our response should be to him. So verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, if he is the shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep. You guys ever met a brilliant sheep? Nope. <laughs> I don't know about you, but a sheep uh, could not be a better parallel than for me. <laughs> like, that's a great parallel for me. Uh, she, sheep have a tendency to wander. Um, and spiritually, that, I don't know if that's your story, but I think in a room this size, this amount of people here, then there's probably some of us that have spiritually wandered in our lives. Isaiah 53, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways. You know, sheep by nature are very anxious, super anxious. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Sounds familiar for me. I went out of town uh, a couple weeks ago uh, for work. I didn't sleep at all. Might have been because I was in the middle of nowhere, Texas, St. Angelo. Anybody been there? Nope. Uh, one. Uh, <laughs> one. What's, hey, Sean, what's in St. Angelo, Texas? Exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, there you go. Nothing. There's nothing there. Like, you can drive for three and a half hours, and you're like, there's nothing. So I'm in the middle of San Angelo, Texas. By the way, two weeks ago in San Angelo, it was 111 degrees. That was awesome. That wasn't heat index. That was like, it's 111. But do you know what I dealt with that entire trip when I was out? I, I hate traveling. Like, people think, oh, man, you have a great job. You get to travel a lot. And I'm like, yeah, till you do it. Right? It's not fun. I hate it. I hate it. Because I don't sleep at all. Because for some reason, when I'm away from home, I deal with what? Anxiety. It's real for me. It's real. I don't know what it is for you if it's like, ah, this is... What causes that anxiety? Lines at Walmart, driving on 400? I don't know. <laughs> Probably a lot more serious stuff than that, I would imagine, in this room. But we deal with it. Why? Because we're a lot like sheep. There's a reason this illustration shows up from Genesis to the maps. 
in the Bible. There's a reason. Sheep, sheep are restless. Anybody in here just restless? That is spot on for me and a lot of my friends. Like, do you struggle with just like sitting still every once in a while, just, just kind of chilling? Some of you are like, I do that awesome. <laughs> we want to be like you, by the way. But it's, it's difficult. And when I, when I mean sitting still and not doing anything, I don't mean sitting and going. Because that, that's not being still. Your, your, your mind is, is moving constantly, right? Just swiping. Like some of us, like you, you got cramp in your thumb in the afternoons, right? Especially before you go to bed. Then what do you wake up in the morning and do? You're like, whoosh. But that's what we do. We struggle because we're like sheep. We're restless. Something's got to be going on. Jesus, our shepherd, makes us his sheep to lie down. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let me introduce our first practice. We're going to hit three. First practice is this. You want to take notes, write things down. Here you go. Stop and lie down. I got really creative. Stop and lie down. Here, here's the fascinating part. It takes a lot for a sheep to lie down. A lot. Primarily, there are four things that sheep that a sheep needs before they'll lay down. Now, if you're thinking, what do you know about shepherding? Nothing. I don't know anything. But I read a lot, okay? Number one, they have to be free of fear. They have to know they're safe. They have to be free of fear. Number two, they have to be free of friction. They have to be free of friction with other sheep. And again, I, this isn't like some made-up list that I did. Like, this is according to actual shepherds. I'm not up here in jeans from Target being like, I know all about shepherding. I don't. Free of friction. Number three, sheep have to be free from pests. That's like flies, parasites, that type of thing. Irritations for them have to be gone for them to lie down. Number four, this one's an interesting one, and I definitely agree with this. They must be free of hunger. In other words, a sheep has to be really full and satisfied to lie down and to rest in a green pasture. <laughs> right? Like that's telling some of us, telling me, not to eat at a buffet, but to lie down beside it. <laughs> the only way I'm doing that is if I'm what? Completely full. When you look at these four things, the shepherd himself is the only one. Think about it. He's the only one who can do this for the sheep. They can't do any of this for themselves. Author, and he's a shepherd from Africa, Philip Keller said something along these lines. Let me read this about his experience with the flock. He said, in the course of his time, he came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see him in the field. The presence of their protector put them at ease as nothing else could do and applied day and night. So as you walk through life, as I walk through life, there is no substitute for the keen awareness that our shepherd is with you. And his presence will dispel fear. It will dismiss panic. His presence delivers peace. But we have to practice the presence of God and pursue 
his presence alone. Because his presence alone brings contentment where we can actually stop, lie down, and rest. If you want a book to read, I would recommend this one, um, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Um, Very good 91-page book. If you want to learn about what it means to be in the presence of God consistently, just a great book. Very interestingly written. It was written in like the 1400s. It's, It's awesome. And they do have one that's like been modernized in language, so you're not like reading it going, I have no idea. Is this like the KJV version of this? No. They've got one. You need to go get it, read it. It will change the way you walk in the presence of God. Very helpful book. So I just want to offer that one out. I mean, think about this. What does Paul, if you go to New Testament, what does Paul say to a young, ambitious leader in Timothy? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's an interesting play on words that Paul's using there, right? Be content or have the mindset of, I lack nothing. And that's gaining everything. That's what he's saying. Or, or Paul, how he says it in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So, so here's the reality. God knows we are in this hectic race of what? Consumption. That's our world now, right? <clears throat> it's all about more, 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 more. It's all about get the promotion, climb the ladder, go on the next big trip, get that truck, buy those new shoes, get the new phone, whatever it may be. He knows. God knows. Like, he's not oblivious to it. He knows that we live in a culture that basically says you can sleep when you're dead. Because right now, it's about what's next. And how quickly can you get there, right? And think about it. We will, we will buy anything that helps us hurry, right? We will buy anything that helps us hurry. <clears throat> the, best shelling, the best selling shampoo in America rose to the top when it combined two things, shampoo and conditioner into one. <sighs> Do you know why people love that so much? Because you can just do it a lot faster. That's the only reason. Because, like, who wants to take the time to rinse their hair out twice? <gasps> right? Like, why is it the top-selling shampoo? When they first did that, it was head and shoulders did it first. They combined them. What happened? It's, I'm in a hurry. Delivery is now promised in 30 minutes or it's free. Why? Because we're in a hurry. Got to get things done. Let's go. Consume, consume, consume. i got to move to the next thing so I can consume the next thing and consume the next thing. Remember when we used to go to Blockbuster? Wow, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big moment, right? <laughs> Who remembers going to Blockbuster back in the day? If you're not raising your hand, Gen Zs, we're glad you're here. Um, <laughs> Blockbuster was so great. It was so great, except for the like, late fees, and that's why they didn't work. All right, they, they fell out, and they didn't change it. All right, change too late. You go in there, and you just... You just take your time. You just walk around, slowly pick a movie. And then you'd go watch. And no, it's crazy. In one weekend, you would go watch one movie. <laughs> right? And then you'd take it back and you forgot to rewind it so they give you, charge you 50 cent or whatever. And you're like, damn. Because you didn't care about rewinding it because you were just slowly going through the weekend watching one movie. Now it's like 
You watch Yellowstone three times in one weekend. Or maybe for you now, it's like, uh, what is it? Terminalist. We got to watch that one like six times because who knows what, I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what's true anymore. Has anybody seen Terminalist yet? Okay, just me and Richard. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> because we consume. It's just next thing, next movie, next thing. What's Netflix got coming? Let's go with this. Like over and over and over again. It wasn't too long ago I was rereading a book <laughs> that I first read 24 years ago. It was during my freshman year of college. And it's, it's a simple book. It's called The Life You Always Wanted. It's by John Ortberg. And he tells us in the book how he called a mentor of his to get some wise counsel. So he called this mentor. Ortberg described the pace at which he was living his life. And he had just moved to a new setting, and it was a, it was a big city and fast life. And he was talking about the rhythm of his family and how his heart was. And he asked his mentor, what do I need to do to become more spiritually healthy in the midst of this chaos? And his friend, who I quoted earlier, was a man by the name of Dallas Willard. There's a long pause on the phone. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then the phone call went quiet. And then Ortberg said, oh, okay, I've, I've written that down. That's a good one. Like it. What else you got? Long pause again on the other end of the phone, and Dallas Willard says to him, there is nothing else. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And by the way, there's another great book that came out of that whole conversation by a guy named John Mark Comer called Ruthlessly, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I would highly recommend you read that book. Great book. Or, as our good shepherd puts it, when we must practice this, y'all, stop. Lie down. Stop. Lie down. And not only that, but if you and I actually did stop and lie down, like, think about it. If I told you, <clears throat> this afternoon, here's our homework. We should go, and I know it's super hot, but let's just imagine we're in, like, Oregon. I don't know why. just seems like it'd be cool there right now. <laughs> Humidity level a little different than here. There's, it's like, hey, there's a green pasture, hill. Just go stop and lie down. Like, All right. But what would we do? We'd take our phone. and Because we, we'd have to tell everyone on Instagram, look, I'm stopping, lying down. And then we'd scroll, right? It's so true, though, right? This is why I question if we do truly believe Psalm 23 and the promises that it gives us. Like, we are constantly, we, we live in this constant connected civilization. And ultimately, do you know what it produces? A ceaseless state of frenzy. So what does our shepherd say? He says, lie down, pause, relax. Taking a nap's okay. Like I remember a time in my life where it was like a brag moment for me with other people to be like, yeah, I don't take naps. Like what is that? Like I, like I run around with busyness as a badge of honor to be worn. Now 
I'm describing, actually somebody else described it for me to a friend. They're like, what's Dustin been doing this summer? Somebody on my team, so this maybe says something about my work ethic. Um, they were like, taking a lot of naps. And I have. Because it's a, it, it might be a moment where it's like, you know what, God really does have the whole world in his hands, and it's not waiting on me to keep spinning on its axis at the perfect degrees, away from the sun. The perfect degree close to the sun, to where it exactly needs to be. Maybe it's not dependent on me. So every once in a while, what does it look like for us in our lives to apply this, to shut off the noise for just a little while, just to be with our shepherd? Can I, can I just rapid fire something at you quickly? And every time I've ever challenged anybody with this, they've always been like, whoa, that's like legalism. Usually people that say that's legalism are like, I'm undisciplined. Um, like, God gives us practices for us to go after in the scriptures that are wrapped up in nothing but grace. Now, this one's not in the scripture. Well, one of them is, but I'm going to give you three. So these other two are just mine, so you can throw those out if you want. The other one, eh, I don't know if you can throw that one out. It's, it's another summer, different time, talking about Sabbath rest. But I'm just going to give you something really practical, all right? This will be on the screen. Turn your phone off. That's not in the scriptures. There's a reason. There were no phones in. For one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, turn your phone off. Like, turn your phone off completely and relent from any technology and give your time, your energy, to stopping, resting, and enjoying the presence of Jesus. A lot of y'all might be thinking, that sounds boring. You're not going to like heaven. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Like, no worry. One hour a day, one day a week. That one day a week, that's Sabbath, right? One week, I, I dare you. Just try. It's just like a dare. I try you. And you're like, I don't like this guy. Full-time pastor will be back next week, okay? Like, <laughs> it's time for you and me to actually parent our phones. Like, put them to bed. Like, go to bed. My wife does this so well. And I'll be honest, I still struggle with this. She does it so well. Her phone lives outside of our room. And for me, it's like, no one needs to be right beside me. Because what's going to happen? Nothing. Like, something might happen. My kids live down the hallway. They'll just yell. Like, it's good. I can do this. Right? In the morning, we, we've got to develop a practice of like word before the world, right? Word before the world. Like the first thing we do doesn't need to be like, all right, what's Fox News saying? Oh, they hate that side. Well, let me go to CNN. Oh, they hate that side. Like, <laughs> right, you, you get it? Okay. All right. Um, it's the same news every day. Maybe, maybe you just create a practice where we, we don't look at our phone until maybe we've got a little bit of time with Jesus. And you might be looking at me and thinking, yeah, this sounds legalistic. Just try it. Like, it, you own your time, you own your phone. So, so own it. Own your time. <laughs> own your phone. The things we think that will lighten the load only add to the hurry and hustle. Oh, if I just can get a little bit of brainless activity on my phone. Does it lighten the load? What do you read on there? Everyone else's problems. Or 
what you read is, man, their life looks so perfect. That's called Instagram. Their life's not like that. That was just that moment. Their kid was screaming right before that picture. Because you're thinking, my kids are always crazy. We can't even get it. Do you know what it took for them to get that picture? Lighten the load. You don't have to go look at that. Jesus says, I know this about you. He says this. I know you have burdens. I know you have irritations. I know you have anxiety. It's real. But come rest. Like Matthew 11, right? It says, our good shepherd says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say in the very next verse, you will find rest for your soul. And he uses a word like this. Easy. For my yoke is easy and burden. It's light. Easy and light. So think about that. Does restful, easy, and light describe your life? Is that what, does that describe you? Doesn't describe me. So again, I challenge you. I challenge you. Does Psalm 23, do we want it? You want this to be true, but do you and I really believe it? Not only does he ask us to stop, lie down, and rest. It says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So practice number two, drink and have peace. And some of y'all are thinking, man, is this a Presbyterian church? Um, <laughs> drink, we'll get to explaining that in a minute. Drink and have peace. First off, the phrase, he leads me, translates from the original text as to gently lead. I love that, right? You, you go to Romans 2, what does, it, what does it tell us? It says that it is the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance. Y'all ever watched a Western movie or maybe you watch Yellowstone like me and we all need to repent of watching that because it's just the darkest side of humanity. Um, it's, it's, it's a great show. Um, in that, what do they do with cattle? You drive cattle. Like you've ever watched, you, it's the cattle drive. Like they drive them. You don't do that with sheep. Sheep are led. Our shepherd and shepherds know the names of them all. They, they know the name of every sheep and they call them by name. They know and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And they follow him. We don't have a God who drives us. He, he leads us. That's our calling as sheep. That is our calling as disciples of the way of Jesus is to follow him. And not only does he give us rest in these green pastures where we will have our fill, he leads us besides to waters and he wants us to drink. When sheep are uh, thirsty, they become restless and they set out in search for water. And if a sheep is left alone, not led by the shepherd, the sheep will drink whatever water they stumble on. Even if it's like stagnant and filthy water, they'll drink it. They are vulnerable in that way. And it leads to their own demise. That's why the good shepherd Jesus in Mark 6 says this. 
It says he had compassion on them because they were like, they were helpless like sheep without a what? Shepherd. Jesus is our only hope to not spiritually thirst. He's it. I love the passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, God says this. He says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves broken cisterns. Let me explain broken cisterns for a minute. I actually did go to Israel one time many, many years ago, and I saw a broken cistern. A broken cistern can only hold some water. And it's the one that gets in the cracks and the crevices, and it just sits. It becomes stagnant. Do you know what it grows into? Algae. This is the illustration that's being given to us in Jeremiah chapter 2. So what God is saying here is, is that like sheep, we're thirsty, but rather than enjoy this great water that, that he gives to us freely, that he's prepared, prepared for us, that he leads us to, we too often choose a cup of algae over pure water. That's what it's saying. Another way to put it is in the Bible, it would be called idols, idolatry. We choose other things that we think will bring our worth and value and purpose, rather than choosing God who brings all worth and value and purpose to our lives. Doesn't mean that the the cup of algae is always a quote-unquote bad thing. it's, It's when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it is a bad thing. So we're going to find water some way or somehow. We're going to search for it. But the question is, are we going to the water that God the Holy Spirit is leading us to? Because what has God given us to drink? His Word. His Word. Take it. Let it refresh you. Practice the presence of God by drinking it in. And understand this, the goal of this, the goal of this is not to get through it. Some of us, I think, often read through the scriptures so fast. It's not to get through it. It's to get the scriptures into you, to get the scriptures into me. Slow down. Read, drink it slowly. A psalm that I keep coming back to over and over again, I almost preached this one today, but was is Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. And this next phrase has just blown me away. And befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. That doesn't mean work, 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 and you're going to have a lot of fruit. No, it's not about fruit. It's about faithfulness. That that phrase, so I went and studied it because it was driving me crazy because it's like, that's such an interesting phrase. It's not like we're hanging out at the coffee shop and it's like, you know what, man, what you need in your life is just a little bit more of befriending faithfulness. Like, that's not a phrase we use. So I'm like, what does it mean? It, I loved, it blew me away when I read this. That phrase means this. To feed on in safe pasture. I was like, to feed on in safe pasture. That's the kind of faith, like befriend faithfulness. And so I'm thinking, okay, I want that kind of faithfulness. What is faith? All right. So how do we interpret scripture with what? Scripture. So I go over to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and it says, I want to know where faith comes from. Hmm, tell me, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the what? Word. Huh. This, the book, the scripture. We must feast on the word of God and let it do what? feed you. Oftentimes we'll look at church and go, oh, that church just isn't really, it's not really feeding me. The scripture says feed yourself. Like what we do here should be supplemental to the feeding you're doing on a daily basis. Okay, back to the verse. Why, why still waters? Remember, sheep are very anxious, timid animals, and therefore 
You will not see a sheep who will drink from a moving stream or rushing river. So a good shepherd, in his great care and mercy, he provides water that's still before them. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores us. Do you know what the word does? The word restore in this passage is the word shoes, which means to return back. Because why? Because we're broken. We're hurting. We're heavy laden. We're burdened. We're suffering. He brings us back to a place where we can find peace in the midst of panic. He takes what is broken and he makes it whole. He takes what is old and he makes it new. Jesus, our good shepherd, changes everything. He gives you the rest that brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. Look, peace is not going to come because you keep doing the things that the world says will give you something. Peace is not going to come because of that next greatest thing or that next greatest series or that new restaurant or that new dish or that, I mean, for heaven bid, a new political party. I don't know. Peace isn't going to come because of that. Again, I think this is one of those passages that I'm not sure that you and I really believe. Because somehow we do. We've been tricked that we think go, 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 and busyness is a badge of honor to be worn. We think we lack something, therefore we have to go, we have to do, we have to hurry, we have to hustle, we have to earn. And our good shepherd is simply saying this, and hear me, with me you lack nothing. Stop, lie down, I will fulfill you, I will give you rest. Drink, I will give you what you thirst for. I will give you peace, I will restore all that is hurting. And then lastly for today, here's what he says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So practice number three. Walk and listen. Walk and listen. Here's what that means. Paths of righteousness. That is simply means a profound purpose. And do you know what our profound purpose is? I'm going to keep it really simple. To walk in the way of Jesus. Life's not about what you are doing. It's about who you are becoming. Are we becoming like the good shepherd? All of the coming and the going and the doing, simplify, slow down. Life is about hearing his voice and walking in his ways down his path. So what does that mean? You and I have to learn his voice. So, so what we're pushing towards is something that is completely subversive to Western culture. Completely. Stop. Lie down. Create moments to just be still and know that he is God. To rest and to cut out the noise. Put your phone down for a little while. To turn the TV off for a little while. Again, maybe it's just one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Again, I dare you to do it. Drink and have peace. Sit in this word. As Adrian Rogers, he, he pastor who passed away a number of years ago, he said this. He said, the word of God is like a pool. Shallow enough that a little child can come and get a drink without fear of drowning. Yet so deep, scholars can swim in it and never touch the bottom. There's so much for us in this and it's so good for our soul. Drink, have peace, 
And then walk and listen to the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus. Learn the shepherd's voice through reading his word. And as you do this, you'll walk on a path with your good shepherd. And no matter what that path leads towards, no matter what comes along the way, no matter what distractions come, you're with the good shepherd. He'll give a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is what you need. This is what I need. I'm telling you, this is what our world needs. Because I'm telling you, if we have what is being offered here, we live a life that lacks nothing. Think about it. What's the path of Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me say, by no means do I have this thing figured out. Let's be honest. For me, the last two and a half weeks, my wife and I were on a walk last night just talking about it. She was like, Dustin, my next few weeks are so crazy busy. And I was like, I just finished like two and a half, three weeks of so crazy busy. I don't have this figured out. But this is what God is like drilling in me most deeply right now. And so my simple prayer is just a member of this church with you is I, I hope it helps you on your journey that we would really believe what Psalm 23 says and that we would begin to allow God, the Holy Spirit, in his grace and in his kindness, not like judgment, like you've not been doing this, but more of like, I've been waiting for you. Let's go. I love you. I want to walk with you. He's our great hope. and He's all we need. He never changes. He's the same. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, in a room like this, there's trouble. There's tribulation. We know that. And so, Lord, we just put it at your feet. God, I pray that in the good, the bad, and the ugly that life brings us, that we together as a community, as a, as a church family, would remind one another of the truth of the gospel, that you have lived a life we could not live, you died the death that we deserve, and you conquered Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. And you look at us and say, you lack nothing. Lord, help us to to really grasp what that means, believe that, walk in that, that we put these practices into our lives so that we can befriend faithfulness. Jesus, you are good. You are kind. It is your kindness, and even in these kind of moments, leads us to repentance. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you won't ever leave us, you won't ever forsake us, and you're a never-changing God. You're constant. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.